Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Richard Lawson. We're here to discuss the sixth episode and the penultimate episode of the HBO series The White Lotus called Abductions, a very dangerous sounding title (laughs) for an episode that is indeed full of danger. Yeah. And later, I'll talk to Aubrey Plaza, whose character Harper has entered a whole new level in her unhappy marriage this week. It's not just a bad vacation, you know, it's a bad time in their marriage. And they just happen to be going to the most beautiful place um, on a beautiful vacation, but they're just not in a good place. And of course, there is the ongoing and ever more pertinent question of who winds up dead at the end of the show. It's not just going to be one person, we don't think. Yeah. Uh, and we only have one more week left to speculate, which means, Chris, you and I t- today, this episode, have to make final predictions. Yeah, we got to lock them in. Um, and just to remind you guys that um, we there is something at stake here, for, for Chris and I at least, that mm. the, the person who gets closest or dead on yeah. in predicting who's dead uh, has to buy the other. Oh, he's bought an Aperol Spritz yeah. by the other. And yes. If either of us are dead on, I'll buy two Aperol Spritzes. <laughs> okay. How about that? We're just going to get drunk in the studio. Yes. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> so, Chris, um, there's something I've been wanting to say to you since we started recording this podcast. Okay. I'm nervous. I love your big pupils. <laughs> wow. You started that. I was I didn't know where we were going, but wow. Uh, that's because I do a lot of cocaine every <laughs> right. time yeah. right before coming into the pod, just like Tanya did this episode. She sure did. I thought that was a great Tanya-esque line because it's like, I guess that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of like an observation, but like delivered yeah. as sort of a compliment. I will say, and this is maybe a bad take. That party looked fun as hell. I would love to go to that party. I know. It it did um, shamefully look sort of fun. And, and to the extent that I'm like, if I saw my 
supposedly rich benefactor and his nephew having sex at the house where I'm staying. I probably would have left, but then again... But then again... Promise of the hottest guy in Sicily and a fun party and some party drugs. And like, they did definitely deliver on that, Rhea Niccolo. <laughs> we, we did see that. <laughs> Look, Mike no White knows what he's doing. He so. knows what he's doing and he yeah. does it well. But to that, I think what happened with Jennifer Coolidge and Tanya this episode, it's so much about the art of seduction. She got so seduced by yeah. the lifestyle and the beauty and the party and the party favors and the drugs and the hung Italian man mm -hmm. that she sort of... With a cocaine bag. <laughs> with a bag of cocaine and a gun. Yep. Uh, that, that she liked. That she liked. That she liked. That she sort of forgot about the, the you know the experience she had the night before, seeing Quentin and Jack going to town on each other. Right. Like, I guess the question is like in her mind maybe the 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 math as much as Tanya does math is <laughs> like what does it really matter? Yeah. Like, like she can do okay, they lied about being uncle and nephew. They're actually it, maybe Jack is kind of a rent boy and he's embarrassed to say that and so whatever. But shouldn't she feel like she's in some danger? Well, yeah, to some I mean, degree? we know that because the music is ominous yes. and the cinematography gets more ominous. But, but I, I don't know. I think Tanya is just choosing to believe in the magical thinking and just yeah. kind of be like, you know what? Okay, that was weird because Tanya also sees something major that I would be like run screening from the house, which is. Is that Greg in that photograph? That's exactly. Well, that's where I'm yeah. like, Tanya, your alarm bells, your siren bells should be ring ding a ling yeah. because that is your husband wearing a cowboy hat next to Quentin. Right. And you've just heard the Brokeback, uh, Brokeback Mountain monologue about how Quentin was in love with this one man, this one yeah. cowboy. And that yeah. cowboy definitely seems to be Greg. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We got a lot of listener theories about we that. We got too. a lot of people emailed stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. And we heard from a variety of people uh, from Anna, from Ashley, some other people. I'm sorry, I'm not naming all your names. Yes, Madeline, like, Allie, Michael, lots of you. And you guys were all way ahead of that. I genuinely didn't think that was going to be a connection. You know, this was clearly, well, we think who Greg was talking to on the phone episodes ago in episode yeah. two. Um, I think part of it, though, and I will defend ourselves a little bit yes, about why please. we kind of didn't go down that like almost lost level <laughs> level of connected conspiracy yeah. is that I didn't really think or maybe want that to be what the show is. That, yeah, this oh, kind of me. intricate mystery, because the mm. first season was a mystery mm. about like who's dead. Yeah. But past that, it wasn't really about secret connections and deceptions and all that mm -hmm. stuff, as far as I remember. Totally. Um. But, you know, now that it's come and actually it turns out that there are sort of layers to this and, and, and sort of hidden meanings mm -hmm. all the way back to episode two or earlier even. Um, I'm not I don't mind it. I mean, I, I, I'm i curious to see where it goes. I don't mind it. I I was scrolling through TikTok as I want to do and texting with friends and they were like, Quentin and Greg are definitely in cahoots and whatnot. And initially my response was like, oh, like, that's a little cheap. Like, that's like, you know, sort of easy in a way. But. Honestly, after seeing this episode, I think a really great thing about the penultimate episode is that we didn't get that many answers. And even right. though we're saying that Quentin and Greg are definitely in cahoots, we saw that photo. I got to be honest, the first time I saw that photo, I had to rewind. I was like, is that Greg? I sort of forget what Greg looks like. I don't even know what young Greg looks like. Right. But I think it's safe to assume, given Jennifer Coolidge's reaction and the ominous music and uh, the Wyoming story, that that's probably Greg in that photo. I don't think it's... I honestly... I come around i don't think it's cheap i think it actually activates tanya in a really interesting way 
And now I want to like go back and watch some of the scenes with her and Greg and sort of reappraise some of Jennifer Coolidge's performance, which like we've both been a fan of, but we were sort of like, what does she do? It like it, it's you know, our Coolidge meter was sort of like, mm-hmm. okay, she's here for a fun time, not really purposefully. And now it's like, oh, wait, she's the reason for the season. Tanya's <laughs> what we're Absolutely. doing here. Yeah, and look, maybe she's going to deal with the Greg situation after she has a role in the hay with uh, the, the hot Italian guy. So, you know, and I can't blame her for that. I can't blame her for yeah. that. I will say, speaking of Portia and Tanya and uh, potential murders, um, I'm real nervous for our girl Portia right yeah. now. And I will say Tanya did try to warn her or, you know, about yeah. in Jack. A, in a poignant scene. A, I mean, kind of mean. Oh, totally. She, what does she call her? Empty or something? Yes. Portia, when I see you, I, I see a younger version of me. You know, when I was a little girl, my mother used to dress me up like a little doll. And I was always... A little doll, waiting for someone to play with me. You know, when you're empty inside and you have no direction, you'll end up in some crazy places, right? But you'll still be lost. What are you trying to say? Like, get your shit together, Portia. She, look, Jack has clearly been assigned to distract her. Yes. Right. To um, abduct her, maybe, even, if I, we're going up with the title soft- of the... Yeah, well, if he's doing that, he's a bad abductor because he got too drunk and passed out. <laughs> yeah, but she is and also alone. Blabbed. <laughs> yeah, and blab, but she is yeah. literally alone in a hotel room with Jack with her bags. Right. Apparently. And I was thinking, okay, so she leaves him sleeping in the hotel room. Does she even know the address of that villa? Like, does she even know how to go back there? How? I was like, girl, call a cab. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. like, where? Yeah, there's no way that she knows how she to just get be back. Like, villa, please. Yeah. <laughs> to the palazzo, please. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is interesting that Tanya who's like, okay, you're me when I'm younger, but I'm, I'm trying to warn you off of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe something of that works. So as we see Portia like on this date or what this abduction, whatever it is, almost immediately being like, actually, Jack is not as like fun and sexy as I thought. He's kind of like maybe kind of a mess. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and you see Jack clearly is not comfortable ultimately. Maybe he's just like super drunk, but he's like getting tearful. And he's like, he helped me out of a really hole, like big a hole, like a dark deep place. Hole. Um, but he doesn't seem to the sort of manner born that Quentin does, which Quentin is very smooth in his deception thus far. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been a little messy leaving that photo out and, yes. and whatever, um, screwing with the door open. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Tanya and Quentin are so locked in these identities as far as we understand Quentin's identity to be. Yes. And I found something dimly hopeful about the fact that the younger their younger counterparts are actually like I don't really like this I don't feel comfortable I want to change this they have, yeah they have the capacity to change and the potential to change I think that's so astute and so interesting I think it, for me it comes back to that uh, scene with Portia and Tanya and Tanya being like I was a girl I was a doll and I my parents dressed me up as a doll and I was play, you know I was waiting for someone to play with me mm-hmm. and basically what happens at the end of the episode is she's dressed as a doll in a gorgeous little baby doll dress and people are playing with her like yeah. Quentin is playing with her she's like reenacting even though she's giving advice to Portia like don't be like me don't get your shit together Tanya has not gotten her shit together at all and she's replaying that cycle albeit in a beautiful fabulous fun you know frivolous way but she's still a doll and she's still getting played with and she's getting played with by Quentin who is absolutely a queer coded disney villain like full scar jafar vibes when he's smoking that cigarette looking at jack sort of like 
drive away in the distance. I'm like, okay, you're the you're our gay villain. <laughs> when he walks into the room, the cocaine room to introduce Tanya to her her beau, mm-hmm. um, uh, Tom Hollander does a good bit of like it, he's he's ju- he's close to camera, so he's not quite in focus, but he does this kind of sinister smile mm-hmm. to the guy, and it's like he can't even help himself. He like he's so pleased with he's this little having, he's having fun. It's delicious, and I I, I love it. I, I guess the the big question now, Chris, is. What is the scheme here? I mean, because the darkest scenario that I think mm-hmm. is maybe the most plausible is Greg is married to Tanya. Yeah. If Tanya dies, who doesn't get, he get the money? Who gets the money? He doesn't that, have children. Mm-hmm. We, I don't. She doesn't seem to have many other loved ones. Her mom is dead. Her dad is dead. Yeah. Because her mom we, was the ashes from season one. Right. Her dad, you know, killed himself. And she mentions that. That's mentioned in this season. Um, yeah. It, the money goes to Greg. And Greg... We learned through Jack needs money, <laughs> as we thought, and we we did we did had our eye on or the prize. Quentin there. rather needs. Sorry, money. sorry, yeah. yes, Quentin needs money, and so if Quentin and Greg are in cahoots or in a relationship, or you know, and they split her fortune, you know, that could save the palazzo, that could save the boat, that could save Quentin's beautiful lifestyle. And it's not just. I mean, we had a lot of people who write in th- saying like the house is rented; they don't even own it. You know, Quentin. Like, and I'm just how ruined is Quentin? Like, yeah. how how like is it like? I love when Tanya says, "Arancini cost a dollar." That was yeah. She says it cost and it's like a okay. So if they can't even afford that, but then Jack has the credit card, and it's like maybe. But whose credit card is that? Yeah. Is there some other old lady they scammed? You know, um, how how bad is this? How dark does this go? And is it murderous? Yeah, and I will say, um, yeah, that's also fair. And I think Portia, the final ep- moments of the episode, realizing, oh shit, I I got my adventure, but at what cost? Right. I am alone in a hotel room. This guy, maybe, is not related mm-hmm. to his uncle. I, you know, this is scary. It's very. It was giving very little red in uh, into the woods. Uh, yeah, exciting yeah. and scared and she it messed with the wolf and now she might get eaten by yeah. the big bad wolf and yeah. the big bad wolf might be Jack plus Quentin. And also, going back to sort of the Portia Tanya theory of Portia Tanya and Greg, remember that Greg was so upset that Portia was on the trip and he was like, he didn't know that Portia was she coming. She has to go. She has to go. She can't be here, mm-hmm. right? So maybe there's an element where like, and now Tanya and Portia are separated. They're and not Quen- together. And, and Greg calls Quentin on the balcony when, when, when Tanya overhears and he's like, we got a problem. Do you have something that could distract Portia? Do, do you have something that could take care of the Portia problem? Yes. And Quentin's like, oh, well, there's this guy from Love Island that <laughs> I pay to have sex with. <laughs> uh, maybe he would do, do a trick. And then, and then what happens? Uh, Portia's sitting, sitting out by the pool. And who appears but Jack. Out of, yes, out of the know. blue. A so vision, this is all long, a long plan. It's all a long plan. And right now, I don't necessarily see how... They get out of it. And, but the funny thing is, is that uh, Jennifer Coolidge, Tanya, like, has basically all of the pieces. They're all, she has more information than any other person. She could, she could put this together. She could solve it. But she's too busy being seduced by beauty and drugs and fun and alcohol and sex that she's not There is a line in the trailer for this season where we hear Tanya saying, was it all a scam? So I assume that's coming. She she will have a moment where she confronts somebody about it. I kind of think that like Portia could. We'll get to the theories about who who's dead and our our final predictions. Yeah, for who's dead? By we're the locking way, them in. Um, later in the episode, but um, I don't know. I'm hoping that Mike White is also hopeful and lets Portia break the cycle, get away from this. Maybe even to the extent, and it maybe it sounds cruel to Tanya, but Tanya hasn't been that nice to her. Yeah, of like. 
just leaving that hotel room that Jack is in and just like leaving, period. Yeah. And being like, I'm, I, I'm going to go. I thought I hated my boring life back home. I actually, I kind of don't, it turns out. The, the sort of excitement um, that I craved came freighted with danger. Yes. And, and, and also <clears throat> danger and like depressing shit. Like yes. Jack turned out to be really depressing. He's really, a really quite depressing character. Um, and maybe she would have been better off with Albie. But Albie's yeah. in, you know, in the thick of it too. Yeah. He's got some shit going down with Lucia that I want to say, I know last week we talked about it, like, is Alessio, is he for real? Is he not for real? Do you think Alessio is for real? So we had some listeners write in saying, oh, I think Alessio is really her brother. He, uh, in the first episode, we see her walk by him. It's no big deal. I just rewatched that just to like make sure. And yeah, it's like literally did, fine. Did Alessio really follow them all the way to this village from the hotel? Or did Lucia be like, hey, um, come around, you know, this time of day and scare us? <laughs> yes. And I'm you sick know, of translating. So like, how does this take work? me home? <laughs> I want to get into Alessio, but first I have to say, yeah. a new queen has entered the chat, and Ooh. she's holding an artichoke. <laughs> she is mother. She's literally, <laughs> she's mother. Yeah, yeah. She is so good. Um, poor Bert just Her. wanted to meet some Degrassos and um, Degrassi. I Degrassi. guess you, I guess that would be the plural. Mm-hmm, Degrassi. Yeah, they have a great high school in Toronto. No Drake. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. What did you make of that whole scene? Because what what was the sort of energy there was it just that like they're suspicious of outsiders or was there more at play i think there was more one life imitates art and i love that or art imitates life who's to say two i think there's a pretty compelling narrative or question to dive into in that like bert was only thinking about himself the degrassos were only thinking about themselves they wanted the homecoming they wanted their family reunion just for them some random Three random men show up to my house speaking a language that I don't know, trying to like hang out. Like, it's so, it's so somewhat like American narcissism, where like, of course, like it's, you know, the fantasy is going to work out. It's and intrusive. I'm gonna, it's intrusive. They're being intrusive and they're, and they're gawking. It's also a little bit poverty tourism, where it's like, they're, yeah. you know. Let's meet the earthy people who are related to us. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. And this way. was kind of predicted by a listener who wrote in a week ago saying, my prediction for that storyline is that they're going to have what a lot of American Italian Americans experience when they come to Sicily trying to trace their roots, which is like, oh, Sicily's kind of a rough place and yeah. it's a poor place. And um, I think that prediction proved mostly true. Although yeah. that, that house was not, you know, some hovel. No. Um, and I thought that there was something interesting about how that reflected how Bert considers his past with his wife. Mm-hmm. Dominic has a very different memory of that marriage. Bert is is a puts gloss on things. He remembers things with through rose-colored glasses. He, he he thinks that life is some sort of grand narrative that he's moving through. And yeah. it's like, and then he cries at the dinner table because he's like, wait, I don't really have, like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. You always think there's gonna be a homecoming. The embrace of a woman. It tells you you've done all right. Well, there is no homecoming. Not for me. Not anymore. He's not Porsche's age or Albie's age. He's sort of further on into his life. Like mm-hmm. there isn't an, an age aspect in terms of the passing, the, the passage of time, and how he'll never, he'll never get that fantasy back. And, yeah. 
that just he can gone. wistfully drink a martini and listen to this beautiful young woman sing and tell her he's a fan and and like maybe maybe what he has is sort of some fading charm and there's not a bigger story of his life that he had yeah. kind of concocted for himself, which is, you know, if that's the, I mean, I don't think it's the end end of Bert's storyline, but like, if that's one of the bigger conclusions, like, I think we'd been wondering throughout this season, like, what are Dominic and Bert really doing in this story? Like, how yeah. are they functioning in it? But I think Mike White might be arriving. It's just some poignant conclusions that are untethered to who's dead. And I mean, we mm-hmm. did get some listener theories that Bert's dead because he has a head injury and maybe he goes swimming or something, yeah. which could still happen. Totally. But I, I think that in order to balance out narratively all of the sexual, romantic, perhaps murderous intrigue happening in other storylines mm-hmm. that Albie's maybe loosely connected to, we needed a, also some stuff that was more human scale. And yeah. I mean, not that the other stuff isn't human scale, but you know what I mean? Like more sort of soft. Uh, yes. And 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 sad. So I guess the question with that with their storyline is for you, how much danger do you think they're in? I mean, I still feel like Alessio might not be who she says yeah. Alessio. Because we is. saw her wheels turning a couple episodes ago where she's talking with Mia and she's like kind of intimated I have a new plan. Mm-hmm. And the plan <laughs> seems to be she does like Albie. She does. And she knows he really likes her. <laughs> I think it's important that the episode opened with them in bed again. Yes, yes. Um, it's still hot and briefly. heavy. And she's like, I j- I'm, I'm going to get this guy. My my brother, Alessio, is going <laughs> to help us out, or whoever he is, yeah, my friend. My cousin. Um, and um, who they conveniently run into yeah. all the time. All the time. She just... could have just texted and be like, hey, we're, we're going to go to an ice cream date. Just be on the, the street. Yeah. And, you know. and then grab my arm and that's... And, and you know he'll chase Alessio will chase her into his arms and he'll whisk her off to America. And in some ways, wouldn't that reflect Bert's fascination with the Godfather and, yes. and Americans in Sicily, like the <laughs> the wife that Al Pacino was supposed to marry and then gets blown up like this fantasy of the world war two um, war bride. Yeah. You know, like kind of like bridges of Madison County, like, you know, par- Albie might be fulfilling some sort of family fantasy about their Italian roots to bring a troubled Italian girl home. Yeah. And I think that Lucia knows that though, that she's probably slept with a lot of Americans. She knows that they have that sort of tropey fantasy mm-hmm. in their heads and she's maybe appealing to it. There's a little danger, a little excitement, a lot of sexiness. Yeah. And it's working. Wow, that's so funny because when I was watching <laughs> the episode, the movie that I went to for Albie and Lucia was Little Shop of Horrors. I was like, oh, she's Audrey and oh, he's uh-huh. Seymour. And then Alessio is the dentist or some, you know, and that's right, their right. dynamic and whatnot. But I do think the, I, I want to give, honestly, I, I want to give Lucia the agency that you just gave in that, like, she's quite smart and she's quite cunning. So concocting, I totally think it's within her wheelhouse to concoct this sort of grand plan to get, you know, if not Albie to take her all the way back to Los Angeles to get, like, a shit ton of money out of this rich family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because she's not, she wasn't born yesterday. So I, with Mike White, it's never necessarily as simple as it seems. And I feel like Alessio, her actually being in danger with Alessio would be perhaps too simple. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I almost foresee, I mean, a lot of my predictions have been wrong for the show, but I, I foresee a sort of end of the graduate moment with Albie and Lucia on the plane home. Mm. And Albie being like, what am I doing? Yeah. I don't know. Again, we'll get to the death predictions, but like, I, I feel like Lucia might be in a better position than I thought. Yeah. Who I'm wondering about, partly because I talked to our colleague, David Friend, who is an mm. old, very, very uh, venerable 
Vanity Fair staffer of many years. Absolutely. Uh, and he has an interesting theory about maybe one of the dead people, which is that remember when Mia poisoned someone and almost <laughs> killed him? Yeah, that was pretty wild. And he didn't wild. die. And she, didn't, she did it by accident, sort of. But yeah. like, what if he comes back? Is Mia in trouble? I mean, she has yeah. this thing going with Valentina. Um, we know that based on season one, that chances are people of the lower socioeconomic stations are mm-hmm. most are most in most peril. vulnerable. Yeah. Yes. So, like, maybe we've been focusing on Lucia and all this Alessio stuff, but maybe we we kind of forgot about Mia in there. Oh, well, that would be so sad because I mean, in a pretty bleak, intense. I mean, the episode was really fun, so I take that back. It was a really fun episode, but one of the most fun parts of it was Mia and Valentina's sort of like, you know, fun, sexy night together. Um, So I'd be really sad to see Mia go, but... She's, um, to go back to the Survivor stuff that that Mike White likes, I think Mia's maybe playing too hard. She's been, she's been, she she kind of took the the baton from Lucia and was like, I'm going to fuck the piano player and then, oh, but I need to give him unknown drugs at one, at the same yeah. time. And, and now I'm going to screw oh, Valentina yeah, yeah, because she's sad on her birthday. And like, and I don't know what Mia, I think Mia, you know, she's like a likable character in a way. But like, I kind of think with what she does with Valentina is cruel. Okay. It's condescending in a way. Well, I will. I do agree. And her response when Valentina admits that she's never been with a woman right. was like, even I've been with a woman. That, that was like, that's so, that's that was hurtful. so, condes- yeah. that was very condescending. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Although, in a way, you could look at it as a condescending, but you could also look at the, you know, her hooking up with Valentina as a gift, in a way, for on her birthday. I yeah. think there's like that's another side of that coin, is giving this woman the gift yeah. of pleasure that she's never experienced It's before. complicated. And maybe the sex doesn't have to be a big deal. Maybe it's just that. I mean, I just, but I feel like for Valentina, who... You know, she's an interesting character in the season. She's not as major as Armand was, yeah. so she's I, she's been kind of in the side, you know, the peripheral. But like, and again, we know she's alive. Yes, we do know. I and feel Rocco. like Valentina's going to have a big final episode. Yeah. Well, I think perhaps her set piece, and you know, one of my favorite scenes of this episode, which broke my heart, was when Isabella is like, "Oh, by the way, I'm engaged to Rocco," and Valentina mm. thinks that they're about to go on like a little drink date on not, her birthday. Well, it 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 gets. It gets progressively worse. To the point where she's literally holding back tears. Though That lip tremble that Sabrina Impacciatore, the actress who plays okay. Valentina, her trembling lip after Isabella walks away. That, that is called acting. Mm-hmm. That is acting. Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. it was incredible. It was so moving. Um, I, would like, I would like my Italian girlies to make it to the end. I'm pulling <laughs> yeah. for Lucia. I'm yeah. pulling for me. I'm pulling for Valentina. <laughs> Still watching. We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return... A conversation with Aubrey Plaza and our final theories about who's dead. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. 
Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, well, let's turn to the last kind of, you know, part of the triptych of this episode, which is our, our, our two couples. Um, you know, when I back m- weeks ago, when I interviewed Will Sharp about Ethan and he hadn't really done much. This was for the first episode. Mm-hmm. And Will Sharp did sort of intimate that like more was coming for that character. And, and it was a slow build. Yeah. But in this episode, we see, I think, oh boy. Ethan really has not gotten over any of this stuff from his youth, from Um, high school, from college in particular with Cameron. mm -hmm. And like maybe, maybe is about to burst into nerd rage, which is, as we know from living in this country, one of the scariest kinds of rage. Yes, one of the scariest. Absolutely. uh, very, And that can be very violent and can mean very bad things for a lot of people. I I have to ask you because I got to I got to know. Do you think Harper and Cameron did it behind his back? I thought it was really well done how it left it. I mean, obviously, later we see Ethan kind of imagine how it went, and you're like, that's entirely credible. Yes. It weirdly is also entirely credible that nothing happened. Yes. It's like, if um, I did it, here's how I would do it. <laughs> and I, I don't know, because I don't, I think I don't quite know. I don't know. It's it's hard to say because I I I, th- I feel like we know Harper, but I and yeah. I, and part of me is like I don't think she would go that far because would she really want to screw over Daphne that much? But would it even would Daphne even really care that much? You know, I that's for how I felt at the beginning, but I do think this episode and sort of the scene work that Aubrey Plaza did, specifically the first scene, really laid the groundwork for Harper doing for Harper doing it. She's they have that really intense conversation in the morning where mm-hmm. Harper basically says, I'm not attracted to you anymore. I mean, we're not honest about... About what? About how we're not attracted to each other anymore. <sighs> or at least you're not attracted to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, I get it. You're on top of the world right now. You can... Sleep with whoever you want, and you're Stop stuck with me. That stuff. Yeah, it makes sense that you'd want to have sex with an Italian hooker. You're I not getting any. Didn't have anymore. sex with an Italian hooker. Jesus fuck. I'm just saying that it's not the cheating. There that was no me cheating. So there was no cheating. As what it says about us. What? What does it say? That maybe something has died. We are too young to be this old, Ethan. <laughs> I'm sure you don't want that part of your life to be over, do you? Uh, Chris, you went in search of more insight about Harper, uh, and you went to the source. You talked to Arby Plaza. I did. I talked to Arby Plaza, and we chatted about whether Harper and Cameron did the deed, and we talked about her Gotham Award-nominated performance in Emily the Criminal. Let's hear that now. 
thank you so so much for taking time out of your crazy of schedule thanks, thanks to for talk having to me. me oh my gosh wow aubrey i've got to say i am so unbelievably like impressed by the work that you're doing on this show it's so fantastic and complicated and nuanced and like kind of terrifying <laughs> in a way <laughs> um in the best possible way because harper when we get to episode six harper sort of has nothing to lose anymore that's the thing is like i don't know how how it's put together but um i don't know it's like you know the in the fifth fifth episode she's kind of confronted with what she thinks is the truth yeah right of what happened but i i think these kinds of things when these these kinds of things happen in relationships it's this never really about that you know mm -hmm. it's always about something bigger it's always there's always micro or macro issues that that are really the that are really the the, the issue and then these little things that happen in relationships they they kind of just spark the you know the larger stuff so totally. i think maybe six is kind of the first time that you yeah, that you get to hear like what what's really going on with these two people, you know? Because mm -hmm. you wonder the whole time, like, why are they not having sex? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Like, what is going on? But it's like, yeah. So, so it's kind of the first time that you they really have it out, right? Yeah, no, they they really do, and they're and Harper's like, we haven't had sex in so long, and I didn't even from watching it, it's like I didn't even think about how their like sexual issues probably extend way beyond the White Lotus, like in their you know backstories for their character right oh definitely i mean for me that was important that when they show up on the boat that they're not in a good place you know because i i think that that's how the stakes become higher for yeah. me anyways if you if you treat it like that if it's like it's not just a bad vacation you know it's a bad time in their marriage and they just mm. happen to be going to the most beautiful place um <laughs> on a beautiful vacation, but they're just not in a good place. And that's the thing. It's like that old Adam Sandler um, SNL sketch that he did like in the eighties or nineties or whatever, when, where it's like, you, like you, like Rome is beautiful, but if you're sad at your house, you're going to be sad in Rome too, or whatever <laughs> yeah. he, that sketch. But so it's totally. like kind of, it's about that, but yes, yeah, so this six episode is gnarly because there's some truth you know, the truth's being told, I guess. And they're saying some stuff that they probably have never said to each other before. That was excruciating. Wow. Some of those truths, though, that are said, particularly between Harper and Ethan, when she says wanting and loving are two different things, maybe something has died between us. It feels like you can't really come back from that. I don't know. Do you think they, their relationship is kaput or do you think they can work on it like ethan says mm, i don't i think you can always work on it it's a choice you know there's no right or wrong i think that's the thing that's so scary uh, about marriage is um it's a lot of work mm -hmm. and if you decide to do the work then that then then you go on and that's so applicable to harper and ethan but then it gets more complicated because you have this like wild card external factor of Cameron being, you know, so like disgusting and grotesque, but also so magnetic and handsome. And clearly there's like, or at least my interpretation of Harper and Cameron's relationship is that like Harper's kind of disgusted by him, but she's also kind of into him. Right. And that's well, going to make it sort of <laughs> difficult for her and Ethan. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he represents kind of 
the other side, you know, he represents the, the like kind of uninhibited, unapologetically, I don't know, free or mm. side of things. And I think, I don't know. I don't think Harper's actually attracted to him. I think she's disgusted by him, but I really? think that, well, yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> I, I think, but I think that, um, just in terms of her personality, like, I just don't, I just can't, I don't think he's her type, you know, I just mm. think, that, but I think that, the, I, but I think he's, he's hitting on a nerve with her, which is that she, you know, wants to box, you know, she wants, <laughs> sorry, but she just, no, it's like, don't apologize. Yeah. She, it's like, you know, it's like, we're she, animals, we're animals, you mm. know? Oh, a hundred percent. Harper also, it's like, Harper, given the vacation that they've had, you know, she leaves for one night, she goes to Noto and Ethan, you know, has hookers over and does Molly. Would she be so wrong to have sex with Cameron? Like after the vacation they've had? I mean, sex? Ugh. Ugh. I don't know about that. But that's fair. I don't know. I mean, that's the whole thing about that's the whole thing about this show. And that's the whole thing mm-hmm. about Mike. Mike White's writing is just that there is no wrong. There is no right. It's like the gray area, you know? And it's like, nobody's better than the other person. We all, we all have flaws. We all make mistakes. And, and it's, that's the, that's what's interesting about it. Is, is it, is it wrong for her to, to kind of do act out, you know, and do something or is it fair or, and, and, and was what he did wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. I have my own opinions about it. I was pissed. You were pissed? Tell me about that. Well, I don't know. I just, I think, like I was saying before, in the grander scheme of things, I was pissed as Harper because I felt that it was a, it was unfair almost. Why is it so, you know, easy for him to go do something crazy like that or whatever with these people that he barely even likes (laughs) and, and to not show that side of himself to me or something where it's like, and it's like, yes, I guess technically he didn't, cheat on her i guess but it there's but i don't know i mean doing doing molly with prostitutes in your room and ha- and and being there with, while your friends having sex with a prostitute i don't know i'm old-fashioned i guess but to me that fucking sucks <laughs> i think that I'd we could agree that I'd fucking really sucks pissed. I, prostitute i mean and prostitute i think of these you know these prostitute characters as friends because i know them because yeah. I love them to death, Simona and yeah. Beatrice. I know them as so I, I it's like I don't want to talk about bad about their characters, but um of course. she doesn't know these people. These are prostitutes in another country. I mean, it's yeah. like you could get a fucking disease, you know. You're gonna bring that home with you, like who are you? I think it's more the I think it's more more of the who who are you kind of thing that's yes. upsetting than the like, you know. In, you know, new whatever the, the actual act of whatever he did, it's mm-hmm. more just like what is happening. Her whole world has turned upside down. She's like, what's going on? And I love what you mentioned too about me and Lucia and sort of and how you as an actress, like you're you know you're friends with Beatrice and Simona yeah. and whatnot. But like in the course of the show, you've never seen these women before, and then you see Ethan talking to me and Lucia, and you accuse him of gaslighting and like, but also are right. you? gaslighting him too with the Cameron stuff it's sort of like it's complicated that moment yeah that moment when it's like they've already had it out and they already she already is basically like ugh it's fine I'm over it it's not about that anymore 
Yeah. It's about this other stuff. And then she goes down and sees him argue <laughs> with these prostitutes. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, what is that? What is that? I, don't I mean, know. you said gaslight and you say, I mean, that's like a pretty definition. And people misuse that word all the time. But I was like, Harper is actually 100% correct in her right. use of the word gaslighting. Yeah. What a scary word. Just with that, that word, it's like so heated and it's so like, you know, it's people get so intense about it. Like when you saw that in the script, were you like, did that trigger anything or were you like, oh, we're going. For sure. That, that move, that, I remember very clearly reading that line when I read the script, are you gaslighting me? And it was just like, ugh, like a knife to to the gut kind of line. (sighs) It sucks, but it's so delicious to watch. I gotta say, if you want to watch, it's really, it's really, really fantastic. I see it as it's almost like hard for me to because I, I, re- mm-hmm. I read them all, all the scripts, and I see it as like a movie, almost like a, wow. like a long, like seven-hour movie or something. So I'm, I don't want to be distracted, so I'm gonna hold out. And then I love it. Oh, well, you're in for an absolute but. treat. And wait, and speaking of treats, I want to transition and talk about your phenomenal performance or Gotham award nominated performance in Emily, the criminal, oh, which thanks. is sort of completely like in terms of going from the white Lotus, we're sort of going to a completely different socioeconomic situation, a totally different world. Can you I tell know. me a little bit about like, you know, uh, filming both or transitioning from one to the other and what that was like? Because Emily, you know, she's, she's down and out. She's got debts. She's got, she got money problems. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, so Emily the Criminal I shot in the summer and then I had like a couple months off and then I did White Lotus. So they weren't like back to back or anything like that, mm. which, which would have been, which definitely would have been weird because um, they're so, 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 so different. Um, mm. And, you know, we shot Emily the Criminal in Los Angeles. It's like a very kind of gritty, like yeah. L.A. story, but like the L.A. that people don't normally show. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of films or at least anyways nowadays i feel like they used to make a lot of movies um the 70s and stuff you know yeah la LA crime stories and stuff like that but um but yeah they're they're totally different emily is yeah she's a she's a definitely not a lawyer that just came into a million billion dollars (laughs) um she's not going on any fancy trips to sicily she's working in a um in the gig economy she's a caterer you know delivery person and she's got a record she's got a criminal record and Mm -hmm. she's from jersey and she's trying to kind of make it you know in this city in this like unknown foreign city of los angeles which is a really hard town to to be a fish out of water and to have no resources you know and to have everything stacked against you it's a hard town to survive in Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. And then a lot of people can relate to just having so much debt. You know, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's got this little debt problem, student loans problem and no, no help. So it's kind of she's she's kind of got everything working against her. And the movie is what what I do think is interesting, though, mm. is comparing both of the things is Please. I realized I realized this yesterday is like for me, both of White Lotus and Emily the Criminal, they both start with the character being at an 11, like, mm. and and kind of already being in a really shitty place. Whereas, yeah. like, a lot of times characters start in, like, a normal, neutral place, and then you see them get to the bad place, and then you see them get overcome it. But for both these things, for me, it was important that the characters are already, like, 
they're already fucked. So like they're Emily, fucked. The, yeah, like in the very beginning, Emily's got this interview scene, and you can tell it. She's just like, she's had enough. She's like, she yeah. flips out, and it's like you're like, okay, well, if that's where she's at now. Then where is this gonna go? Yeah. Um, Truly, it's so interesting because they're both, you know, they're different characters, but they both Harper and Emily. They both hate being lied to. That seems like such a big trigger honesty and the truth i mean that first scene in emily the criminal where you know the employer the job interview he lies to her face and then she freaks out i found that's such an interesting thread to me in terms of like hating hating to be lied to yeah that's interesting i never think about it like that i mean i think maybe they're both really kind of authentic characters they're Mm. they're like they're flawed characters and they can't help you know to be who they are it's like I like people like that. People mm-hmm. that are just kind of like, you know, just take me as I am. Like, I'm just, um, you know, it's like, yeah. Cause Harper is like that. It's like, she can't, she's a lawyer. She's critiquing every situation. She's evaluating things and analyzing things. And that's, that's just her personality. And sometimes she comes off like a bitch, but it's like, she's not, she's just, that's just, you know, who she is. And then mm-hmm. Emily is like, she's just no bullshit. You know, she's like, yeah. I've, I've been in jail. Like, I don't, give a shit like yeah. Yeah. you know what i mean like oh yeah i was thinking and i was thinking emily really could have used harper's services for her day job in terms of when <laughs> the guy is like i know yeah, these two characters lunch. could really help each other out gotta get them in the same room oh wow well aubrey thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to chat with me your work is absolutely phenomenal i can't wait i'm rooting for harper for the end for the last episode. I'm rooting for her. Oh my God, I'm so scared. <laughs> well, I guess then we should get into our final uh, bit of theorizing. But I want to, before you and I make our big final predictions, that, you know. We stand to win a drink here, yeah. so I mean, this is serious business. The stakes couldn't be higher. Um, uh, Pete wrote in to us uh, with an interesting subject line, which was White Lotus and Location of the Deceased. Mm. He writes, I rewatched the beginning of episode one. Rocco tells Valentina one of the guests has drowned mm-hmm. and that, quote, Salvatore says other bodies have been found. He does not say where the other bodies were found but I'd assume he would not say one has drowned if multiple people were in the sea. Mm-hmm. So only one body is shown being taken by authorities on the beach. Okay, Pete, great observation. Thank you, Pete. I, we should have <laughs> probably paid more attention to that verbiage yes. uh, on the first episode. So that does complicate things. It might not be four bodies in the water. It could be one in the water and then people elsewhere. And one in a hotel room or, you know. Right, or what? on that little island that they pointed to, that Quentin pointed out where the, the Swedish dowager was found, you know, thrown off the cliff or whatever. Um, so I feel like my tendency is to throw it to you because then that way I have more time to think, but I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you more time to think. Oh, thank you. I need it. Um, maybe we should, well, to give ourselves both more time to think, just give a little refresh very briefly of predictions you and I have made in the past. Yeah. And we can even vote on if they're still viable or not. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, Any sense anymore. (laughs) So week one. You predicted Tanya, and I said Mia and Lucia. Mm, eh. I think, I just, I don't think, I think maybe Mia. Yeah, I I don't think it's going to be Tanya anymore. I, I, don't, don't I, I don't either. I don't. I also think they announced the third season. It's been renewed. 
I don't know if you get rid of Quilty. Yeah. Uh, although, what is she going to have left to do? We'll see. That's uh, week two, you said Harper, Chris, and I said Portia and Albie in some sort of he attempts to save her from drowning or something. I think now that so ship funny. has very much sailed. <laughs> yeah, that ship has that is, sailed. Um, um, Harper, I do think, still has has legs. Or Ethan, even, yeah. too. That's, yeah. So I do think that's still fair. Uh, week three, you said Portia. I said Cameron. I don't remember saying that. And also, <laughs> uh, and also again, me and Lucia. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, again, again, I think we Portia. I, I think she's gonna get out. I but maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I, uh, I yeah. I think she's gonna get out too. I'm not. She's not my final. She's not my final girl for this in terms of who I'm gonna lock in, who I think is gonna not make it. Yeah. So I think she's gonna be okay. Uh, week four. Um, you predicted Harper goes on a murderous rampage. <laughs> uh, I said Quentin, even though I. But I don't think that the. I don't think the death is a villain death. Okay. Um, you don't. Th- you don't think it's at the palazzo. You don't think it's. Uh. Well, I'm I, I'm building a theory about the based on Pete's email. Okay. Multiple multiple locations for bodies. Ooh, okay. I'm um, finally, week five, episode five. Um, you suggest Ethan kills Cameron, which feels entirely possible at this yeah. point. And I predicted, as did our our colleague David Friend, um, that there is another jet ski incident, and they crash into each other, and one of them winds up dead. And one of them. Okay, winds- so that's where we left things. Final predictions. I'll go first, as I said. Okay. Please do, because I really don't know where my head's at right now. There are multiple locations of dead bodies. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is Bert, who like dies in his hotel room. Okay. He Fair. falls. Falls. Yeah. Swan I, song, good night. Okay. I think, obviously, someone's dead in the water. Maybe that could be Bert. Maybe he goes for a swim. Yeah. But my hunch is Ethan. Okay. Um, Ethan, you think, in okay. some sort of struggle. Okay. Ethan in a struggle. Yeah. And then I don't I don't want to say this because it sounds dark. Hey, we'll go there. You can go there. Go there. I think me. Valentina accidentally kills Mia. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Do you have a theory of how that might happen or how that I think maybe Valentina gets really attached after just one night and in like some sort of rage like hits her over the head with one of those head statues. With with one of those head statues. Yeah. Wow. That's Wow, Richard, that yeah. is a really, really, really good theory. I mean, that's so mean to Valentino. But... That is, but it's, tra- I mean, it's, given the first season, it's Murray Bartlett, you know, the, you know, the killer, the killee becomes the killer right. in terms of there the manager of the, yeah, yeah. Similarly, okay, I also am going to do sort of a, a, a multi-pronged final theory because I think too much is happening in the Palazzo with, Tanya and Portia and Jack and Quentin for somebody not to wind up dead in that scenario. I don't think it's Jennifer Cool. I don't think it's But they'd Tanya. have to get back to the hotel. Yeah. For something to happen. They would have to get back to they would have yeah. to get back to the hotel. Um and we've been dangling that Greg is supposed to return too. Right. Right? Maybe it's Greg. So maybe it's Greg. So I'm going to say that they go back to the hotel, Greg is there and I think something happens and Greg winds up dead. Jennifer Cool has a gun now. Like it's like there's like Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. You know, it, it, she's got to use it. So I think I think it's Greg. I think she might, you know, shoot Greg in a murderous rage or, you know, or something like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe she wouldn't make it to season three, but we'll see. So that's my that's part one. Um, I definitely believe that somebody of the foursome, one of the foursome, at least one of the foursome is dead. Yeah. Um, it's the only way that makes sense. Um, I do think Ethan hulking out and going ballistic Cameron and Harper potentially having sex makes the most sense, but I'm not going to go with my head. I'm uh-huh. going to go with my heart. And my heart is saying 
that Daphne is the killer. Daphne kills somebody and Daphne is somehow behind it in right. some way. She didn't do enough in this last episode. She she was so not there that I feel like she's bound to do something really crazy um, in the have, have a big final episode. So I think that maybe Daphne somehow either kills Harper or Cameron. I'm right now I'm thinking of Cameron because guess what? He's probably not even the father of her kids. Right. So and he's, you know, having sex with other people and doing all these things and is a terrible, terrible guy just to begin with yeah. that. I think there'd be a lot of satisfaction. I don't know. Maybe that's what that's what my heart wants is for Daphne to kill Cameron. Maybe it doesn't make a lick of sense. But I think I think it's Cameron. Um, yeah. So I think Greg's dead. I think Cameron's dead. Um, and I'll say Harper too. That would make that make. I think it's Cameron and Harper. Those are my. That's that's what I'm. That's the one I'm going with. I don't think any of the Degrassi. I think I'm maybe I'm, okay. <laughs> maybe um, I like your theories. Let's say Greg's the one in the water. Okay. He gets pushed off the boat by Tanya or something. Something like the, that. The, the yacht is coming back with Quentin and everybody. Mm-hmm. Whatever. She re- finds out it's a scam. He dies. Daphne kills people in, in one of the rooms. Daphne kills people in one of the rooms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think the door, with this, the head statue and the door being open and closed. The door. That's right. The door. It's yeah. too, there's yeah. too many set pieces that haven't been fully used uh-huh. yet that I feel. And, and Ethan looks at that head statue again in this episode or someone does. No, it, it's definitely yeah, Ethan. Yeah, yeah. Ethan looks at it. Yeah. Um, so I know. And that's about a woman killing a guy. It's about a woman killing a guy so, for cheating, for yeah, cheating, for cheating, which is what happened with Daphne. So, yeah, mm. I'm going going with my girl Daphne for this. One. Have we just been too? Have we not been reading obvious signs this whole, <laughs> this whole season? Are we even uh, smart? I don't well, really... well, based on the, the listener emails, they are picking up on a lot of stuff that we, the professional <laughs> recappers, <laughs> are not. Um, so we'd love to hear your final theories as well. Um, you can email us again at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. It doesn't have to be about a theory about who's dead. Um, it could be, you know, kind of summative thoughts on the show before the final episode airs. Um, yeah, and then we'll be back uh, for one more week. And and again, one of us is going to... Uh, I guess we'll have to figure out how we judge who got closest yes. to, to, to being right. But. Yeah, yeah. it's Yeah, we're going to have to... We'll have to go to the judges for why that. Don't we intru- <laughs> why don't we introduce a new rule to the contest? If someone is killed with one of those head statues, we both win. Yes, okay. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. we predicted that. Yes, because we did predict yeah. that. So that's actually literally fair. Oh my gosh. I really hope I win. Uh, before we close out, I just want to make one little housekeeping note. Um, we are not going to get a screener in advance for the finale episode, so uh, we will be recording probably after the show airs for every everyone. Um, Watching it live yeah. for the first time. So the podcast will will drop a little bit late, but um, maybe we'll we'll make it a yeah. It'll we'll make be, it worth your wait. It'll be worth the wait. Yeah, don't yeah. worry. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can again email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail dot com. Uh, you can. Find us individually on Twitter. I'm mm-hmm. at R-I-L-A-W-S. Rylas, Chris. And I'm at Christress. C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our editor and producer is Dave Gonzalez, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes and Katie Rick. Our engineer is Kevin Barassa. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. And our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week for the finale of The White Lotus Season 2. Until then.
and if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.